Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Anage. Welcome to Skylines, the Citymetric podcast. New year, new intro. So, one of the things I wanted to do last year, both on Skylines and on, on the Cinemetric website itself, was to be a bit less London-centric. Talk less about the vagaries of London transport and, you know, more about the rest of the country. And I think I've been quite successful in that. We still do our share of silly tube stuff, but we went, we went quite big on covering the mayoral elections. We've now got a regular columnist from Liverpool, a guy called Dave Mayo. We've got other people writing great stuff about Sheffield and Birmingham and Manchester and so on. But our remit is is officially meant to be global. So this year, I'm going to try and go further. We're going to do more stuff that's not about the UK at all. That is, I mean, that might be harder because our, our travel budget really doesn't doesn't stretch that far. But I can at least get, get interesting people to, to talk to me about places far from these shores. So... This week, we're going to start by talking about Africa. And we're going to be visiting a country that a lot of people probably don't even know is, is there. Indeed, a country that, in some ways, doesn't even exist. Uh, there is one piece of, of background information you should have before, before we begin. This conversation was recorded a few months ago now, since when there's been a presidential election. So, so the guy we talk about who's been tipped as the new president actually is president now. And, and when we talk about last year, what we actually mean is 2016. But that's, that's fine. You know, it's January. When you say last year, you probably still do think of 2016. So anyway, go all that. Then we shall begin. I'm Nimka Ali, I'm a social activist and a feminist. And, well, I'm an African as well, so I was born in Somaliland and I was born in its capital called Hargeisa. So, yeah, that's me. So, so the first thing to say, right, is Somaliland is not quite the same as Somalia. No, Somaliland is a complete separate country to Somalia, but it did, for a short piece of time, did um, join up with what was um, Somalia, what well, still is Somalia, and became the Republic of Somalia. Um, and then he broke away in '91 and has been independent since. Okay, so so there's there's a lot of history to unpack here, which I, I wrote a piece on this a while ago. And it was yeah. it was quite fun because I know nothing about history from anywhere outside Europe, really. So it's quite fun to kind of explore this stuff. But like, 
So let's go. So basically, it all dates back to like imperialism, right? Well, like so we were we were a protectorate of the United Kingdom. So we were never occupied, which I which we were one of the only countries in Africa um, that wasn't actually occupied um, by. Western powers or those people that think that Enlightenment started in the 17th century. So we were uh, protected for over just close to about 140 years. And then we were given independence around the 1960s when, when everybody else gave up their um, land. So we became independent in well, I think like June, June 26, 1960 is when we became independent. And we were independent for four days and then decided to join with our brothers over the other side of southern Somalia, which... Which was not part of the British Empire, Which was right? not part which of the British Empire. They were occupied by the Italians, so they were, they were, they were Italian Somalia. And um, we joined together, and that wasn't necessarily the most successful thing. So um, civil war broke out um, fully towards the late 1980s. And then by 1991, we'd kind of, like, you know, got, got back our borders and, and declared ourselves as independent. And we've been um, sovereign ever since. So, so let's kind of unpack this a bit. Like, it's... Somalis are like one people, right? Like yeah. Kind of, it's the same language, ethnicity, and so on. Not the same language because the, the language changed with dialects. So ethnical um, ethnical Somali people live in five regions of the Horn of Africa, or close to the Horn. So there's Somaliland, which is the northern part of the Horn, and then there's the south, which is Somalia. There's Djibouti, and then there's parts of Kenya and Ethiopia, which um, ethnic Somalis are indigenous to. So um, all those parts got like you know divided through the um, by, by the conquerors, and ultimately some went to um, it, some were occupied by the Italians, some were occupied by the British others came through and um, ultimately when the UN was formed um, the empire was seen as unethical Somaliland um, became separate Somalia was separate and then Djibouti and then some part of what was the ethnic Somalis were, were given to Kenya and um, Ethiopia so there are those are still contested um, lands but ultimately Somalia Somaliland was different to all those because it was the only bit where the British were just having tea I think having a picnic they didn't really put any um, fundamental or foundations down at the time but they did name it British Somaliland yeah well, we, we like doing that yeah, stuck, exactly. stick our flag in the place yeah you know, it's, like, it's like Somalia but it's the land of the Somalians so it was British it's Somaliland the, then the British was the bit we thought was important about yeah. that name really rather than the but yeah so okay you get to when's the war break out like 91 no the war kind of was like it was there. It wasn't really going. It was. Right? No, it was. It started to really go around eighty eight, eighty seven. So that's when I was there on holiday, and that's when the capital of what became the capital of Somaliland, Hergesa, started to be bombed because that's where the people that were fighting the dictator in Mogadishu were really concentrated there. And the main war plan was to kind of flatten them into submission, which is not dissimilar to what's happening in Syria and other places in the Middle East at the moment. So dictators do actually have a. Um, a common war plan which is just like bombing the <laughs> out of places okay well that's it is it's it's, it's, yeah. it's a no, bit like Damascus at the moment it, it was yeah no sorry I, I just slightly trailed off there because it's one of those things I kind of have no frame of my, my, my standard response to most things is to kind of like oh I'll make a joke and move on it's really difficult to kind of work out how to do that when we're talking about you know genocide yeah it's it's kind of a difficult thing to kind of be snarky about and without a snark I am, yeah. I am nothing but the thing I find interesting about... The, the reason I kind of got, got quite interested in this story, the thing I find interesting about Somaliland is it broke away since when it's been pretty successful, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's functional in a way that, that Somalia... 
which is still quite war-torn, is not. Yeah. And yet it's still not officially recognised as a country by literally anybody. No, it's not. And that, all that is all to do with the fact that when Somalia and Somaliland joined together as the entity that was the Republic of Somalia, their bank accounts became merged. So a lot of the whole thing right now is, is about separating the finances of a divorce, which is always quite um, difficult to do. But um, yeah, it hasn't been recognised, but they've been very successful. So um, Somalia has been under trusteeship since its basically government fell, officially fell in 1993. Um, and before that, it was all to do with like, you know, proxy wars of America or the Clinton trying to put other people in power and all those things. So Somaliland has been independent since 91. It's had elections. It has its own currency. It has its own borders. It has its own police. It has its own passports. There's immigration. There's taxation. DP World, which is Dubai, uh, the United Emirates um, massive um, co- corporate entity, has yeah, just like a property fund. Don't yeah, it's yeah. a property fund, and also like you know, um, shipping all that stuff has just signed a multi-million pound contract with them around their ports because they can import and export things. It has um, trading links with Saudi Arabia, so yeah, there's there's a lot of things it's been doing very well. It's just it. it I, I just find it interesting that you have like. One half of what used to be the Republic of Somaliland, uh, sorry, the Republic of Somalia, yeah. is doing pretty well. It's kind of you know reasonably prosperous. The economy's okay and so on, but there's no official status whatsoever. I mean, like literally, no country in the world recognises it. I think it's almost unique in that. It is. It is. It's a bit. Yeah. It is. But so the other like... half that has the official country status is a complete basket case, yeah. right? Like that's like Somalia see, is see, still basically war torn. And we're very British in the sense that we don't like to boast. So it's one of these things that <laughs> had any other country like, you know, really got the things that we'd got, um, everybody would be boasting about it. So you can actually fly from London to um, Hergesa, which is the capital of Somaliland, in, in, in under 12 hours. So it's three hours from Dubai or 45 minutes from um, Addis. So Addis has direct links to it. And every... Yeah, so it's it's really successful. And I think um, one of the things that it needs to do and one of the things that it hasn't done very well, it's about shout out about how amazing and how successful it is. In my social activism has a lot, a lot, a lot of it has been about um, fighting FGM, and I think it will be the Sorry, f- female genital mutilation. Yes, yeah, so yeah, female genital mutilation. Not to just bring that, back, bring that in, but it's, it is a country where relative and same to its neighbour Somalia has the highest rates of FGM. But it's one of the first countries that's able to take a grasp of it, and the guy who's who's um, tipped to be the new leader of um, of Somaliland, which again, this is this is one of the things that kind of separates it from Somalia, is a secular person and he's very keen to talk about the, the grip that the Islamic extreme has over the coast and has around parts of Africa. I think the commonality through how weak Africa has been in, in terms of governance is that whether it's West Africa or East Africa, like you know Islam or radicalization or even the Christian extremes have taken a massive hold um, on it and he's one of the first people and one of the only people that would actually stand up to religious um, for fundamentalism and that's something that I'm quite excited about him talking about feminism and Somaliland like a lot of Africa has a very young population about 70% of its population is under 30 half of its population is the same age as the country itself yeah the the figures like that always 
Well, they mostly make me feel old, to be honest, because well, I'd be like, well, I'd be like one of the older people there. So you yeah, you will, yeah, you will be. I'm one of the oldest yeah. people. I'm 34, and mm. um, like Uganda's population, I think about 80 percent of it is under 25. So that's it's crazy. It's it? massive, and I think that's one of the things about Africa is that it's so young and it's so vibrant, and it needs leadership that kind of can speak to that. And at the moment, um, a lot of those people haven't been speaking to that. So yeah, so Somaliland is this utopia, but it's also kind of a bit nuts like every other place that I've been to because it's all run by men and the, and the idea of feminism is kind of a novelty. But yeah, it's an amazing country. This podcast we were talking about um, infrastructure and why African cities have sometimes struggled to kind of develop in the way perhaps Asian ones have come on in the last hundred years. Like, tell, tell me a little bit about Hargeisha. Like, what's it, what's it like? What does it have? Like, just you know the kind of nerdy yeah. stuff I like. What's it got going for it? Um, high-speed internet. It's got, it's got faster internet than the UK. So it's got 4G internet. And there's coffee shops. There's a buzzing, there's a buzzing very middle-class um, community. And it's, um, it's some, the weird thing about Somaliland and Hargeisha itself is that the fact that Somaliland is one of the only countries where... Um, I think the only place I've ever seen that was Burkina Faso as well, where the fact that the level of poverty and um, richness is not necessarily that massive. So there's a because the, the population is only about four million. So it's got a lot of young people. It's got a lot of like you know internet and all those kind of things. It's got a lot of high rise um, like you know buildings. It doesn't necessarily have um, the kind of road infrastructure that we would wish for it to have in, in terms of the way that it's kind of developed. But it does have television. It does have... Yeah, it has everything that, that you could probably want. It you doesn't want... have, like, a metro network yet, does it? No, it, does, it doesn't have... But it does have a bus network, which is one of the most complex I've ever seen in my life, so I never, I haven't been able to figure it out. And it also has this, like, you know, its own black cab service, which is technically a Toyota Yaris and the way that these have kind of sprung up is that a lot of the women, especially the mothers and a lot of the families, have been stopping their sons from like, you know, leaving the country and trying to find um, wealth in the West. So they've kind of um, created um, a minicab service without necessarily thinking that they were creating a minicab service. So all these people started bringing these Toyota Yaris's, which are nicknamed Please Don't Leave, which is the mothers <laughs> begging their sons not to leave and go on these um, like, you know, horrible journeys that we see right now. Um, on our televisions but the thing about western countries um, or one of the things that it's done is that Somaliland has picked up its architecture from the west so a lot of the people have a lot of its population live in the diaspora and have kind of come back so the houses have been built very much to an American standard as opposed to an African standard so there's a lot there's an overuse of marble there's a lot of shiny things it's very Arab in its in its um, architecture, then it would be um, African, and I don't necessarily think that really serves it very well. The climate's too different. I the climate's yeah. different. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. It's a bit like when the walkie-talkie was first built, and they didn't really think about the re- the reflective glass oh, yeah, and how. And it, yeah, the, 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 the death ray. Was yes, sort of, exactly. You know, so Jim, I... Jim Waterson now of BuzzFeed, who's also been on this podcast, uh, did a very clever story. We went out of a, a frying pan and an egg, and proved you could literally fry an egg in the heat. 
heat is reflected off this building. And, and you yeah, could, good for him. And you could probably do that in Hergesa as well at the mm. moment because they're not thinking about those things. So I think what um, Hergesa has is that because it's so untapped naturally with its resources and it's peaceful, it's got a lot of time to spend on money and just kind of doing itself up. So it's, it's a little bit like a, um, a wife that's waiting for her. Not like no, I can say this because I'm a feminist, but um, she was a very kept woman and her children still have a lot of money to kind of keep her kept. So she spends a lot of time on cosmetic um, surgery and doesn't necessarily spend anything on like, you know, educating itself about its culture. And that's one of the key things. I think that's one of the failures of Africa is, and it's not a failure because of the fact that it's just happened by accident. I think the West has been very key in not teaching Africa and the African population um, about their history. So if you go to places like um, Mali or Burkina or even Sierra Leone, all these places, there are buildings that have lasted millennia, but people just don't want to look at those as things that we would want to keep hold mm. of and actually maintain, where places in the West, they will be um, listed as historical places and get great listed protection. I think Africa fails itself in doing that. They're very, they've very much been sold that new is amazing and shiny is the way to go. And there's a lot of shiny things in Hergesa, and I don't necessarily think that's the best way to go. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, I mean, that's... You, you, you were born in, in Somaliland, right? Yeah. You, you've been here since you were quite a, a small child, but you're still very involved in in, in the diaspora. Like, yeah. it's kind of quite the diaspora is quite active in in the life of the country, right? It's not just like you leave and then you have no contact with it. No, so about about seventy percent of the country's wealth is from remittance. So the diaspora is very connected in sending money back and keeping it going because if you're not recognised, then you're not getting any international aid or anything else. So basically, as soon as you get a job, about twenty percent of your salary is taxed to go back home, or if not even fifty percent sometimes. So yeah, ultimately yeah, that there, there is that connection. Uh, but it's only it's the only um, I don't well actually no, you can probably find this in Nigeria as well. But it's the only place that you'd ever find um, like you know a Hummer fast speed internet and goats just roaming the streets just <laughs> randomly and, I, and that's one of the things I never figure out is like how do you know who these girls belong to nobody steals the goats 
it's really weird. So you'll see the presidential palace and it's like, you know, it's got all the lights and all the glitz and glamour and there's like just random goats that are just walking around it. And that goat goes home. So you might not find a metro system, but there are goats that know their way home. So maybe that maybe someone should do a good uh, a good map of the goats. Then that get me interested. Oh, so actually, do you know what? You, you can just put a GPS on a goat and just see how like you know. That how would be fa- awesome. Yeah, like, genuinely, no. that would be amazing. No, but, someone should do that. But no, but it's it's one of the weirdest things is that these goats will like you know go all the way down to the city. They'll hang around at the. I don't know whether I'm seeing the same goats or some of the goats look the same, but it's difficult to tell goats apart. Sometimes. It is, but they but so you can probably like you know put a tr- track on a goat and see how long it takes it. Like you know how where it goes around during the day and just like you know see what kind of like a bit one of those women that ran around and did like a like a penis um, thing on her Nike running thing we've, we've gone from goats to penises no but, the, but, the, but there was a woman that did, that did her I think I thing. know what you mean yeah. yes so yeah. there was a woman that did rude things like you know by running around London or wherever so you could probably do that with a goat Okay, cool. Well, we'll look into that. Well, cam- well the camels are more the camels are more expensive, so nobody who trusts- moves faster, the camels or the goats? Um, no, the camels are protected. So basically, everybody kind of like a camel costs like a thousand pounds. It's quite it's a camel is a luxury. Yeah, a camel a camel is a luxury, so they're not really trusted to um, to roam the streets. But yeah, but the goats um, roam the streets. They find their way home. They don't seem to get other goats pregnant. It's honestly, it's like a really that's a more interesting. Um, way to travel around and there was um, so I went in May and by the time I went back in December last year so in May last year there was a few donkeys and carts on there but since um, November they've kind of been outlawed and there's a lot of cars and it's it's and the really interesting thing about Hergesa is and Somaliland is that they're not there are no street names okay does that get confusing it, but do you know what so you would ask no, it's it's one of the weirdest things is that you say um, so everything has a landmark so um, so they'll say like former BBC studios so there's the BBC studios like White City and it's called where it's called basically where the broadcast happens so the broadcast area and then you'd have to like you know everything is like you know by there and about three streets down or whatever. So it's a city that's kind of springing up without any street signs. You navigate by landmarks, by landmarks. directions from the landmarks. Or by somebody's shop or by um, where somebody was shot. It's Honestly, it's one really of the most interesting <laughs> things. It's all... Um, or, um, and, and now they have like new names in terms of different areas that are coming down. So there's like Little London, Little Beirut, um, Little India, and all these are the kind of places. That, and those are all named after people that have kind of come back from the diaspora. Just we we should be wrapping up in a second, but I just kind of wanted to ask first. You're now you're, you're very involved in sort of political activism here in London, yeah. And and FGM is a big cause for you, and obviously that's that's largely an African cause. Like to kind of come back to where we came in. Do you get? Does it get frustrating that so many people in the West do just kind of think of Africa as it's, if it's a thing rather than like it being several dozen different countries with different religions and languages and cultures and whatever else. Yeah, and also um, Africa as the bud of civilization. So it was really interesting the other day when um, Donald Trump was talking about, like, you know, the end of civilization. And you're just thinking, what, like, what do you mean end of civilization? Like, there are countries that have been going on for millennia and the, and the West did not necessarily um, give us democracy or history or all these other kind of things. So I think, yeah, I do 
it does like I've never so I've known Africa in um, in several stages so the whole point of the fact that I grew up as a very um, privileged young African and then what happened was that in the 1980s and then the early 90s the whole life aid and everything about Africa became that you had to be embarrassed and people were starving and it was about famine and now it's kind of come on this new resurgence where it's about African music African culture African heritage and people are really excited about Africa and that's the Africa that I've known so it's been really interesting that people are kind of catching up and I think the younger generation the diaspora um, are kind of catching up but I think it's more I think um, what I'm going to say this very honestly I think white men are very scared that they might not be the most amazing thing um, on the planet and the fact that they discovered Africa I'm not scared I'm not scared at all I'm fine okay. I'm totally fine what so, are you talking about okay, I'm obviously so, amazing so this is the, the reality is that Africa was like you know when the West, when London was like dealing with the plague and syphilis and all these other kind of things, Africa was um, an amazing place where there was poetry, like you know, healthcare systems and all these other kind of things. I think the obviously the West and the Western conquerors came and they didn't necessarily come to conquer with like you know trying to give us something. They tried to kill us and enslave a nation, enslave like you know a whole continent. And it was them that that screwed Africa up. It wasn't necessarily the fact that Africa was uh, like you know a failed continent when they found it so they found this place that was full of like you know natural beauty and full of all all the things I think they wish they had um, and that could be happening again and I don't necessarily think that the West is really ready for um, a rise in Africa but Africa could rise so we can sit here and talk about the failures of the African continent but I think a lot of those failures has been um, through the prism of the West trying to see Africa as a Western state as opposed to Africa trying to unshackle itself from all the bullshit it was given like Robert Mugabe and everything else and try to become a, a place that was full of like you know real history and real like you know culture and a place full of beauty and I think after we deal with um, extremism and Islam in the narrative that, that it comes from the Arab continent I think um, Africa will get back to its natural um, pretext which is something which is quite chilled and interestingly enough, the largest population of black people in the UK now are of African um, heritage. So for the first time since two, I think two, I think 2010 census was the first time that mm. the African became the largest number of black people in the West, as yeah. opposed to African Caribbean. Yeah, and it's, it's often like something I've noticed. It's the other side of the continent, but something I've noticed recently is. British Nigerians are an increasingly visible force. Yeah. And uh, British Somalis as well, I suppose you've got Samo Farah is the most obvious. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, you, you are seeing it, people from individual African countries kind of with those kind of links uh, attaining a certain stature in a way that you, I don't recall from my childhood there weren't many visible British Africans when I was a kid, whereas now I can rattle off the names of probably a dozen. Yeah, and you can probably, and this is one of the things, it's like they're probably like a lot of them are also second generation Etonians or whatever it is, but I think one of the one of the things is that a lot of the Africans that came here, whether they were Somali, especially, specifically Somali, Nigerian, or if they came from Ghana, so those are the three kind of um, strong indigenous to this kind of country having the second or third generation, was that a lot of their parents, they had aspirations back home or they had privilege. So they were able to come here, they took menial jobs, but their kids were able to go to university. So when I was growing up, that is the Africa that I knew. Um, that, that um, The East Africa that I left, or I was forced to leave, was more to do with civil war than to do 
with the famine that, that Live Aid wanted to kind of um, show and the West Africa that a lot of the Nigerians and the Ghanaians know, it's nothing to do with, with Boko Haram and all these kind of craziness, it's to do with vibrance. And I think if you ever get a British Airways um, flights to Lagos, I, I think 50% of it is first class. It, it's like one of the largest, <laughs> honestly, it's one of the weirdest things. And the, and the only people that are going, um, not first class, are aid workers that go in there in, in order to fly from Lagos to other places. So yeah, um, Africa is rising and I hope that it's something that is celebrated as opposed to that it's something that's kind of feared and kind of held down. And I do believe that there needs to be a seat of the Security Council for, for, a, for an African country or, or a rotating African seats. I think that's I think that's when we know that people have kind of accepted Africa as the superpower um, as it is because even though it's not a country as a continent there's a shared history and I think we have a shared knowledge about the fact that how it, what it feels like to be um, undermined and to be undervalued so in in that in, in, in that way as an African I think I do agree to the pan-Africanism in that sense but ultimately yeah we're not a country but it's a powerful continent. Well, I don't know if anyone from the UN Security Council listens to this podcast, but if you do, then you never give know, us I, a call. I might, I might meet them at the Evening Standards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, the Russians. That was the fantastic Nimco Ali. So, what else have we got coming up in the weeks to come? Uh, I actually, I have actually got another interview about Africa, which, which in fact I recorded before that one. It's, it's not quite so positive about the region's prospects, and it's also with a white English journalist. Um, that may or may not be a coincidence. Next week, hopefully, I'm going to be talking to Matthew Engel, the, the Financial Times journalist who wrote a great history of the British Railways, as well as a, a book about England's counties. I've, I've also been a guest on a couple of other podcasts recently, so we'll be we'll be running the tapes of those as well. But but the idea I'm currently most excited about is one that I, I stole from a, a travel journalist called David Whitley on Twitter. He suggested to me that there was an interesting debate to be had about which British cities would be would be the best if you're a tourist. You know, like I think tourists who come to this country, they probably know about London. I mean, they probably, of course, they know about London, but they probably know about Cambridge and Oxford and Edinburgh and those kind of places. But they don't really go to Manchester or, or Leeds or Sheffield so much, I suspect. So, you know, I, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about whether they should. Anyway, I love David's idea, so I am shamelessly going to steal it. And at some point, Stephen Bush and I are going to argue that one out, interspersed with, with brief clips from, from representatives of, of these various cities trying to sell them to us. I've had quite a lot of enthusiastic uptake on that one, but so far I've only actually had a clip from, from Leeds. So if you're if you're keen to get involved in that, then then drop me a line. Happy New Year, everyone. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.